Hello and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host, Tracy Allen, and today we'll be talking about the macro stress that's really confounding the fundamentals across agricultural markets as weather risks are really turning, in fact, from risks to threats. And I'm really pleased to be joined by my colleague Rahani Agarwal to discuss this with you. The agri-commodity complex was one of the, the lead performers uh, across asset classes through May this year. Uh, and, and subsequently since that, that peak in May, we've really seen quite a sharp sell-off. A lot of liquidation in length, we think, has been driven by partly by certainly outperformance um, following a very, very compelling fundamental situation and very low inventory environment. Uh, and, and subsequently since that point, whilst the fundamental situation may not have really changed and whilst the risk profile may have actually intensified um, to the bullish side, if anything, we've of course had very substantial mounting of recessionary risks and, and certainly a, a downturn in growth potential. Whilst we don't call for a recession anytime soon, it is very clear that there is a material slowdown underway, certainly in the likes of, of Europe and, and certainly in, in equally in, in key consuming China. From a commodities market point of view, this has driven substantial outflows from the sector. Uh, and certainly just this last week, we've seen the aggregate value of open interest across globally traded commodity markets track down to the lowest level in 2022. Another important development this week, we've seen what's been termed as the Black Sea Initiative, an agreement between military delegations, uh, between certainly Russia, Ukraine, and Turkey uh, in, in discussions with the United Nations, open up the export of, of grain uh, currently held in port zones in Ukraine. Now, it's a material development from a food security point of view. It is a reasonably small development in terms of volumes, however. It's very clear that hopefully this initiative is signed next week. It, it means potentially 5 million tonnes of wheat, 5 to 10 million tonnes of corn, and roughly 5 million tonnes of other grains could find their way onto the world market um, by the end of calendar year 2022. This uh, development has been widely expected by markets for quite some time. In fact, probably since May, when we first started commenting on humanitarian export corridors. And as I said, given all the food security concerns that we have globally, despite the contraction in prices recently, this is going to be a very important development, particularly for markets in North Africa uh, and, and through the Middle East and, and, and Central Asia equally, ensuring that there are those suppliers moving. However, what it doesn't do, it, it doesn't alleviate the problem of the conflict and it doesn't move grain and oil seeds from Ukraine's farmers and from on-farm facilities into port zones. And that's a very, very important point to note that going forward and certainly over the next marketing year, we're really going to feel a tremendous gap from the lack of Ukrainian exports on, on the world market, a gap of a magnitude that we've never felt before. Ukraine typically starts to export their wheat and corn around the September and October period. And certainly through 2021, Ukraine um, being the fourth largest exporter of corn and fifth largest exporter of wheat, had a, had a rather aggressive campaign during the, that period and was, supply, and was really supplying a lot of um, the North African and, and Middle Eastern markets with those products. 
um, equally China with, with corn. This time around, looking down the barrel over the next few months, there's a huge gap there. Not only is there a huge gap, there are huge weather-related risks as well, certainly around the Northern Hemisphere crops, which are currently growing. Here in the UK, uh, Western Europe, parts of the US, certainly Northern China are experiencing heat waves. And our meteorologist has commented that certainly in June, the Northern Hemisphere experienced its hottest month for June on record. July is equally shaping up to be the warmest on record across the Northern Hemisphere. And we're really yet to see what plays out during August. But what is clear is that the rainfall uh, side of things and the precipitation outlook is quite modest. So we're anticipating to see some deterioration, certainly in crop condition, building of soil moisture deficiencies and pullback in the yield potential of these key grain and oilseed crops at a time when, as we've already discussed at length on these podcasts, we have very, very critically tight exportable supplies of, of agricultural products available to the world market. Another interesting development across agricultural markets over the last month has really been the return of Indonesian palm oil export flows onto the world market. Rahani, you've been discussing the, the fairly aggressive pace of which Indonesia is exporting its palm oil. We've seen a tremendous slump in prices and it's arguably been one of the drivers behind the pullback across the broad agricultural complex, um, which is now down uh, you know, sharply over 20% since the, the May highs. What's the outlook for palm oil here? It was one of our more constructive commodities, certainly at the beginning of the year. How do you see palm oil traversing the next few months? Right, Tracy. As you pointed out, there's been an aggressive selling of palm oil from Indonesia onto the global market. And what that really has been doing is expanding Malaysia's stocks. As you know, Malaysian stocks have a key bearing on palm oil prices. And Malaysian stocks, as a result, have been expanding. We got our June data recently, and Malaysian stocks rose to a seven-month high, and mainly led by a collapse in exports. That's, of course, led by an aggressive selling of Indonesian origin palm oil, which continues to relieve pressure on Malaysian stocks, as well as on palm oil prices. And if you look at the key destinations as well, Malaysian exports to India fell by about 45% month on month, and that's likely led by a substitution with cheaper Indonesian origin supplies. Now, this is something we've been flagging for some time now. This looks to be a two to three month phenomenon of policy-induced oversupply. One, that consumers holding low inventory levels are well-placed to take advantage of. So low inventory levels across both India and China should eventually drive demand at such opportunistic price levels that we are currently seeing. And this should become more visible in the import volumes that we see from August as well as September. The other key development that is happening on the demand side is related to biodiesel demand. Indonesia in its recent policy measure stated that it plans to increase the content of farm-based fuel and biodiesel to 35% from July 20 versus the current B30 that we have in place with road tests already planned for B40 later in the month. Now, in terms of impact, the higher mandate should not really have a material impact for 2021-22 industrial use, given that we only have two and a half 
to three months left for the end of the marketing year. So probably it'll have an impact of say 100,000 to 200,000 tons. The more material impact would be felt in 22, 23 industrial demand, where we already anticipate a 10% year-on-year increase towards 11 million tons. So in sum, the overall demand picture still remains supportive. Supply constraints in terms of structural production challenges persist. Conflict in Ukraine continues. So we continue to see upside for palm oil prices. And the overall impact of Indonesian supplies remains short term, and we expect that to start fading from September. So overall, given that this is the view that we have in palm oil, Tracy, we know that the overall sell-off that we've seen is not just restricted, restricted to palm oil, it's more widespread in nature. What are you seeing for the grain markets, given that the weather is turning quite threatening and production prospects remain in question? It's been really interesting, Rahani, um, certainly with the slump in palm prices, pulling down vegetable oil prices, and then flowing through grain markets as well. We've, we've seen tremendous losses across the likes of corn, wheat markets. Uh, and, and I think a, a lot of this pullback in price is concealing what we view as major dislocations in export flows, uh, certainly through the second half of this year and into 2023, with those Ukrainian volumes largely offline. But, but more importantly, um, with respect to this immense heat that's passing through the northern hemisphere crops at a very, very critical time where, of course, pollinating the corn crop um, in the US and uh, to a certain extent in, in, in Europe. Um, it is, uh, it's a very, very threatening outlook. And when we're staring at the board now and looking at corn prices for the new crop at around six, you know, $6 per bushel here, um, our price forecast suggests that actually there's you know, some potential 20 to 30% upside here on the basis of, of, of supply side disappointments. Um, we're currently working with a yield in the US of 177 bushels per acre. I mean, um, that's quite, I think it's quite, it was quite conservative coming into this year, given some potential challenges around the fertilizer application rates. But, you know, there, there is downside certainly to, to that yield. And we're going to be tracking not necessarily the condition data. I think that's a helpful indicator, but it's not particularly certain, but certainly the temperatures through the remainder of this pollination period. We are acutely concerned about the maize crop through Europe. Uh, the local trade are calling for a 60 million ton crop well below the, the USDA's um, current target. We've already seen the USDA reduce the, the, the Western European milling wheat crop. And, you know, uh, it's just a very, very tight situation that for my mind you know is is still dealing with the structural factors around input costs uh particularly for fertilizer going forward so when we look at the extent to which prices have collapsed we're now seeing new crop prices in 2023 track below costs of production for corn for wheat um and not necessarily for soybeans just yet in the u.s but definitely for, for corn and wheat and for my mind, this is a very unusual situation when the market is really in need of a supply response here. Um, so very, very perplexing. We think that prices could move to parabolic levels, particularly in that fourth quarter period, when we're really missing those Ukrainian volumes and, and, and certainly continue into the first quarter when we start to see quite, you know, quite a pickup and, and resilience in demand. I think one area here, however, you know, that, that puts a bit of a spanner in the works is, is China. 
And we've seen the second quarter GDP figures come out at 0.4%, quite a disappointment relative to average expectations of 0.9% growth. Um, zero COVID policies continue whilst there is some stimulus expected through the course of this year. You know, it is very clear that it's tough going. Um, we've seen a recent um, slower, slower profile of soybean imports into China, certainly with the likes of the, the data points released this week, um, a, a reasonably disappointing import volume for, for June. It's something that we're keeping tabs on. But I think, if anything, you know, China has been somewhat absent from the collapse in agri prices here. We've definitely seen that, particularly across the likes of corn and soybeans. China hasn't really intervened and, and you know, played the, the traditional role of the bottom picker there. Uh, and I think, Rahani, we've, we've seen that with respect to very, very soft demand on the part of, of palm oil imports into China also. You might have some comments there. Right, Tracy. So we've seen that softness coming through in China's palm oil imports. In fact, that has driven down inventory levels to almost the lowest since 2004-05. And that's really driving our view here that given prices at such, at such opportunistic levels, there is all the incentive to increase demand and that buying should come and reflect in the data from August and September, given that there will likely be some lag involved in those purchases and them being reflected in the data. Even mm -hmm. for cotton, Tracy, we are seeing some softness in demand. However, the overall view on cotton is led by the US. We're seeing extreme tightness in the US balance and it's becoming more and more apparent as persistent drought conditions across West Texas are really deteriorating the US cotton production potential. So as you discussed with the July was the USDA's US cotton production forecast came in closer to the low end of trade expectations with the US cotton stocks to use ratio falling almost to the lowest level since 2010-11. However, none of this is really reflected in nice cotton prices, which are down almost 35% month on month. And what really seems to be playing here um, on the risk sentiment is recessionary risks, which, uh, you know, with cotton particularly being the most discretionary agri-commodity and most growth sensitive. And the current sell-off appears quite aggressive when we look at the tight US cotton fundamentals. But yeah, the recessionary risks clearly seem to be playing on risk sentiment here. In terms of forecast, we do believe that there is upside. However, it's just the recession, recessionary element that remains in the background. While recession probabilities are certainly increasing in the US as well as Western Europe, incoming data continues to point to an economic slowdown rather than an outright contraction. And our base case still looks for an acceleration in global growth and could drive up cotton demand and uh, overall prices from the current low levels. So turning attention to the other soft commodities, Tracy, particularly sugar, the market has really been resistant against the current crude oil price weakness that we are seeing. What are the drivers here? Yeah, sugar has been very, very resilient, particularly this last week of trade with a lot of weakness falling through crude pricing here. Um, we, we have seen Unica, the Brazilian sugar industry body within uh, you know, Brazil and certainly Brazil's center south industry, report the, the second half of June crush data. And it was quite telling in that, We've seen a tremendous increase 
certainly in um, firstly in export sales of, of ethanol. But I think coming back to the crush numbers specifically, the the pace of the crush is a little slower than last year. Disappointing in that respect. The volumes are down, uh, and so with those lower volumes and, and lower production of sugar and ethanol, and more of that ethanol moving on to the likes of the world market um, at, at reasonable price levels. I think it's been providing quite, you know, quite a supportive background here for ice number 11 sugar. Um, you know, unlike the grain markets and oilseed markets, sugar hasn't had as compelling a story this year. But, it, you know, equally because it is in, in, in a slight neutral to surplus balance here and now. But the demand side has still been reasonably strong. We've seen that with quite a, quite a firm white sugar market and certainly very, very tight market in Europe. Um, you know, so sugar does actually have quite a firm underpinning here um, in, in our view. We hold a price forecast of around 21 cents per pound on average for the third quarter, potentially moving up to, um, you know, to around 21, 21 in that first quarter period of 23 as well. Um, so from that point of view, the, the weather is everything at the moment. Weather markets are very, very critical across all of the agri-commodities because there has been such adverse conditions out there weighing on the supply side response. Food security concerns um, you know, are, are, still, are still very genuine and valid here and now. It does appear to us looking across the complex that relative to our price forecast, there could be a 20 to 30% recovery over the next six months driven by grain and oilseed markets on the back of very, very disappointing production potential given this heat risk that we're experiencing and moisture stress. So from that point of view, um, keep an eye out on the, the weather. It's a very, very material driver here and now. The, the demand space for ags remains important to monitor. Thus far, we're not aware of a material demand-driven contraction by any means. Uh, and, uh, and we continue to see opportunities, particularly for the, for the consumer and investor community across deferred parts of the curve, which are really still subject to very, very elevated um, costs of production. But Rahani, uh, thanks very much for, for joining me today for our discussion. Sure, Tracy. It was great to be here. Thank you all for listening to this episode of JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. We look forward to continuing the conversation next week. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022, JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 15th of July, 2022.